Hi, I'm Tom Field, Senior Vice President of Editorial with Information Security Media Group. I'm talking today about preventing attacks from spreading, and I'm speaking with Drew McFarlane. He's Vice President of Products and Marketing with Bricotta Incorporated. Drew, thanks so much for joining me. Thank you very much, Tom. Drew, from your unique perspective, how do you typically see cybersecurity threats spread through an organization, network by network, device by device? We've actually been seeing this change a little bit over time. Uh, you know, originally, you, know, you would have a sort of a, a, an actor you know, outside of the network, and they would try to go through your perimeter defenses, or they would take advantage of some sort of malware that you know, might end up being able to do an end run around those, you know, either through you know, being introduced by a USB key, etc. We're seeing a very interesting trend of late, dovetailing off of a recent exploit that came out with the Vault 7 release. As a result, you know, we're seeing a lot more lateral spread of malware because you know, some malware has been able to identify different vectors of attack where they can take advantage of internal networks and spread device by device uh, using SMB protocols and, and things that have been you know, basically in place for years, but just never used in this particular way before. Drews, can you offer a couple of case studies from your research and some lessons learned from those as well? A couple of the more recent ones, and you know, these have been making headlines recently, were you know, the ones I just mentioned, which were you know, uh, WannaCry and Petya. They both took advantage of an exploit that was announced, uh, Eternal Blue, where you ended up, you know, once a device internally got infected, it was able to use that as a, as a launching point to, to try to expand out and, and attack other devices on, on the network. This isn't specifically a new type of threat. If you go back yeah, years ago, there was an exploit um, that made its way basically through the Middle East that also used SMB protocols. That particular instance that, that happened several years back didn't have the same capability you know, from a standpoint of you know, the exploit wasn't known at that point. So it was really relying on somebody with administrative privileges to, to log into the device. And as a result, take advantage of that escalation of privilege. The, the difference that's happening now is that they've learned ways you know, of being you know, between devices inside of a network without necessarily having to have that uh, innate escalation of privilege in place. So you know, basically what ended up happening is you, know, you had these, these systems that were ill-equipped for this zero-date style of malware, especially if they had older systems that, that, that weren't necessarily instrumented with modern virus scanning and things like that. And it ended up being very vulnerable. You ended up having this ransomware wreak havoc in a number of environments. So, you know, really the lessons learned there are number one, you have you know, these new styles of, of malware that are coming out. And so if you draw back in history, you know, back to the earlier days of Stuxnet, you had Stuxnet and it you know, was able to take advantage of a number of different zero days all at once. And when that leaked out into the open market, People were able to identify the exploits that were being used in there and then you know, take advantage of those going forward. This is going to continue happening you know, through history. You know, you know, different new types of attacks and new exploits are going to become public and, and very well known, and people are going to be really on those pretty rapidly in order to be able to take advantage of that window of time between you know, which environments aren't fully patched and the exploit becomes well known. The lesson learned here is that you can't really rely on one particular type of defense. You need to be you know, ready for, you know, for the zero-day malware, but you also have to be looking for different exploits. There's, you know, there's no one way of being able to, to solve this. You're really going to have to have layers of defense to be able to properly uh, defend your environment. Joseph, if you were to take a step back, you've been in the industry for a good deal of time. 
What is fundamentally wrong with the way that organizations often focus on perimeter and endpoint defense? I think that when you actually look at this over time, the industry has certain darlings uh, at various stages, you know, throughout time periods. Where you know, in one you know, in one era, it's you know, the latest and greatest thing is, is sandboxing, and then endpoint DTDR, and people will basically overfocus on one particular method of detection without really you know, trying to make sure that they get a good foundation of everything that they need. Every single different type of detection is is worthwhile, but you know, when you provide a, an overemphasis on one specific style, you're leaving other methods potentially open. So you really need a, a kind of a more holistic approach to, to how you're doing defenses to make sure that you're not just overly focusing on your endpoint and then leaving perimeter or leaving, you know, looking at the perimeter and assuming that everything inside you know, that gets past that perimeter is trusted. So you really need to, to kind of look at every different stage, be looking at the entire kill chain, so to speak, uh, and making sure that you have some sort of coverage on each one of those stages so that you can try to stop the you know, any particular attack you know, at the earliest point possible. So instead of the traditional perimeter and endpoint defense that we see, what should the defensive strategy be instead? Obviously, perimeter defenses are, are important. You know, endpoint in ETDR is important. You, know, you really can't focus on one exclusively over the other. If you focus all of your all of your attention and all of your focus on on endpoint defense, you know that's very worthwhile. I mean, you certainly want to you know you want to do that, but you don't want to necessarily overemphasize that. You know, if you took a football analogy, you don't want to put your entire defense line you know, right there in front of the end zone. If anything gets past that, then it's too late. You want to try to stop that attack as early in the process as possible. So yes, you want to make sure that your perimeter defenses are are strong. Often what ends up happening, though, is you have strong perimeter defenses, you have strong endpoint defenses, but then you know, when things are internal to your network, that ends up being overlooked. So you really want you know, something that's going to be a, you know, inspecting traffic inside of your network as well. So again, you know, going back to that analogy that, or that uh, case study I described earlier on with, with Petya and WannaCry, one of the, the problems with that was you, know, you had this new type of attack that was going on internally. And if you trusted the devices, once they actually made their way in the network, if you trusted those devices to be able to operate without, uh, without inspection, that's where you end up having that lateral spread. So you know, having a good you know, level of defense internal to your network allows people to be able to operate as normal, but you know, still be able to identify those types of attacks when they occur, that's what's going to end up defending you. Uh, you know, if you look back again you know, with a, with that case study of WannaCry and Petya, they were using an exploit that had been you know announced about a month and a half prior to the first instances of malware using it. So you know that that you know Vault Seven uh, leak came out a month and a half earlier. Uh, the you know Eternal Blue exploit was identified pretty quickly as part of that that launch, and there were. You know, there were snort rules and Suricata rules available within a week and a half of that launch. So anybody who had been inspecting their internal network and, and been prepared to look for that type of exploit in play, even though the, the malware itself was a zero day and nobody had seen that particular malware, nobody had a signature for the malware as it was, they would have been able to identify somebody utilizing the exploit and they would have been able to stop that in its tracks before it spread too widely across the organization. Jules, talk to me a minute about Bricada. What do you bring to the table to help organizations improve their defenses and to contain threats? 
So Bricada you know, has a number of different benefits. You know, number one is, you know, yes, we, we play you know, squarely in the, in the IDS, IPS uh, environment, but we bring a couple of other things to the table. We have a number of different detection uh, technologies inside of our products. So the first one being the obvious you know, signature-based detection. And again, if you look at the, uh, at the case studies I've described here earlier on, this would certainly help in that in that case. You know, you're looking for these reasonably well-known exploits. You're looking for well-known problems that are going on in your network, and we're keeping you up to date with you know, with you know, current and modern you know, threat intelligence to be able to you know, look at that, identify it, and block it as it happens. The second piece to our puzzle is that we have the ability to harvest a, a tremendous amount of net, metadata. If you're in a typical you know, security environment, you have you know, endless numbers of products that are generating alerts, and that's great. Problem is, is that those alerts are, are the first step. It's not the end. It's the first step of the process of incidents or in, incident response. And from there, you have to figure out, was this alert valid? Is it actually meaningful? You know, is it relevant to my organization? There's this entire host of things that I like to categorize as being trivial true positives. And those are things that you got alerted on it and it's a real problem. But you know, if my system was you know, reasonably patched, it's not really a big issue for me. So you know, trying to identify whether or not something is relevant is, is good. And then once you've identified that, that problem that you know is problematic, you know that it's relevant to me, you have to try to figure out how, what is the scope of this? You know, you know, if there's this device that I've determined is compromised, you know, what was he doing up until that point that led us to this, you know, this circumstance? So maybe we can change some behaviors. And then what did he do afterwards from a standpoint of, you know, if you saw that particular piece of malware and it landed on that device, and then you started seeing indicators of compromise that led you to believe that it was, he was actually compromised, you want to look at, you know, what other devices internal to my network did he touch? So you can try to draw a fence around what is the scope of this problem? So this metadata that we're able to collect provides all that information at your fingertips. And this is all information that would typically take a long time to try to assemble if you're in incident response. And we're trying to provide all that upfront you know, up, up to you. And then finally, we do a degree of, of content inspection as well. So when we see files that are being transferred between devices, we're able to take that through uh, and look at the, at the binary, you know, do a, a degree of binary analysis. And we've actually licensed some of the algorithms from uh, from Silence, you know, to be able to identify zero-day malware as it's uh, as it's traveling, you know, sort of in flight across your network. This obviously doesn't prevent you from wanting to have good, strong endpoint defenses. We understand that not every one of your devices is going to be able to uh, to have an endpoint uh, agent on it. Maybe it's a different type of operating system, or you know, maybe it's hasn't been inside of your environment for very long. Maybe it's a mobile device, etc. So. We provide that that additional level of inspection to identify malware as it's going across. So you get those three different aspects of detection. You combine them together and providing that additional data. That all helps you get to you know, your time to resolution and time to containment down to to as little as as uh, as, you know, as small as possible. Finally, that that same metadata that we're trying to include inside of our own user interface. Uh, we're sharing that with you know, the rest of your security ecosystem. If you've got a SIM set up, you know, SIMs were all often presented as, as being the be-all, end-all. It's one of those, you know, darlings of the industry where people, you know, sort of assume that it's going to solve a lot of problems. But the problem with a SIM is it's only going to be as valuable as the data that's feeding it. So if it doesn't have the data, it's not going to be able to do the types of correlation that you need. So we're providing that same metadata that we're taking advantage of into your SIM. So your entire SIM and, and basically your entire security investment 
uh, can take advantage of that. So we're, we're trying to raise the value of your entire security investment as opposed to just our own product. So that, that, that's basically the, the elevator pitch of what Percada does. Drew's final question for you. If you could sum it up, what should organizations be doing now to assess their abilities to contain threats? So you know, the, the first thing is, is you know, one of the trends that, you know, that has always been the case in, in security is security is always a balance between uh, you know, convenience and, and detection efficacy. Uh, you want to make sure that you're, you're trying to make your organization such that you know, people can you know, go about doing the job that they need to do, but you also need to put in the types of defenses that are necessary to de defend yourself against these types of threats. One of the, the dirty secrets of this is that you know, they, they uh, one of the aspects that's factored into that decision is, you know, how much of a target is my organization? You know, and you, you figure that if there's an attacker, there's an adversary that is, you know, hell bent on, on compromising your organization with enough time and enough resources, they're they're going to be able to, you know, to make some headway into that. So you have to, you know, sort of balance that that aspect of the equation into this. If the, do I feel like my organization is going to have a big target on it, you know, for people to try to go out and, and attack? The problem is, is that you know more and more, you know, again, when some of one of the trends that we're starting to see here is that some very sophisticated attacks end up being leaked out into the internet, and then people are able to take advantage of it. So, what used to be exclusively in the realm of, uh, you know, of you know, nation-state style defenses, or, or the types of defenses that you would need to, you know, to have in place if you're a large financial organization, you know, looking for zero days, looking for anomalous behavior, you know, you know, those are no longer types of defenses that you can only leave up to the big guys and assume that you don't need to do anymore. So, you know, you really need to kind of, you know, rethink this because there's a lot of circumstances now where, you know, those types of, uh, those types of defenses, you really need in the smaller, medium-sized organizations because they, they, the script kiddies of the world and the people who are just taking advantage of, of some, you know, leaked exploits they're going to be able to make a lot of headway inside of your organization. So, you know, starting to look at, you know, how can I defend myself against, you know, you know zero day threats by looking for, you know, potentially, you know, behavior of certain binaries, behavior of certain uh, endpoints on my organization. You know, that's going to be become more and more important. You know, making sure that you're not leaving any obvious holes. You can, you not only have to focus on the perimeter, but and, and focus on the endpoint, but the space in between as well, so that you can defend your organization. Uh, you know, so you know, basically looking at trying to raise your game, so to speak, in terms of how do I defend myself against unknown threats? You know, I can no longer, you know, just try to protect myself from the low-hanging fruit and and make sure that the that I'm safe from your your casual drive-by. Uh, you know, you're really being able to defend yourself against some of these more, you know, uh, more sophisticated attacks that we're starting to see become more prevalent across the industry. Juice, I appreciate your time and insight today. Thanks so much. Thank you very much. We've been talking about preventing attacks from spreading. I've been speaking with Drews McFarlane, Vice President of Products and Marketing with Bricada Inc. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Tom Field. Thank you very much.